So uh, I want to share with you this word out of James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. And if you'll stand for the reading of the word, Father, we thank you and praise you that the word is true, that you've not gotten tired, you haven't quit, your truth is still truth, and that in the end, you prevail every time. We thank you for that and we praise you. We just ask your anointing on this message today that the church of Jesus Christ would be encouraged. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. Every trial is a test. James 1, 2, and 3. My brethren, count it pure joy when you fall into trials because it brings about a testing that perfects your patience. And our nation has been through lots of testing in the past two years. And a lot of people have asked, where is God in all of this? He's allowing us to go through the test so he can do some strategic things that are very important. And the testing is what we need. It's good for us because it brings a realignment in our, in our churches. It brings a realignment in our educational system. It brings a realignment, a shaking, if you will, where we can shake loose that needs to be shook loose and we can get focused on what God has for us. And I love this word from the Jameson Faust Brown Bible commentary. It says, every possible trial to the child of God is a masterpiece of strategy of the captain of his salvation for his good. So there is, no, there is no bad side to trials. All there is is improvement in your focus, improvement on the things that God has put in your heart to do, a rededication to those things. God is letting America go through this trial because he's exposing that which has been hidden. He's in the process of exposing that which has been hidden. And boy, there's a lot of stuff that was hidden that shocked me when it started coming out. Am I the only one? He's reorganizing his church. He is strengthening the remnant, the church, the remnant church, the church that refused to forsake the validity of the word of God. They refused to compromise in their orthodoxy. The remnant church, I call it. The remnant church is now rising in great power in the United States and having a great effect as he reorganizes it and strengthens it. And he's reestablishing the core principles of freedom. You see, freedom does not occur in nature. Desire for freedom. See, people don't want freedom. They want to be taken care of. Freedom only comes, a desire and a thirst for freedom only comes when you have spent years under tyranny. Once you have, once you have tasted tyranny, then you become desperate for freedom. Look at Cuba. Look what's going on in Cuba. 60 years. And those people have had it. They have had enough. And so, and so they have a great, Cubans have a great appreciation. Cuban Americans, man, I love, we have some Cuban Americans in the Congress that are like, they are rock stars. They are, because they have such a concept of freedom. They know what freedom is because they've been deprived of it. They know, they know it's worth fighting for. 
They know that it's essential. So, so you have to change from wanting. And with freedom, and I, I, this is the bad news about freedom, with freedom comes responsibility. You can't be free if you're not going to be responsible. Come on, somebody. But freedom is essential. It's essential to Christian doctrine. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Whenever you feel like threatened and insecure, the government comes and takes some of your, whatever government, it's just a natural thing of the way things are. The government comes and takes some of your freedom in exchange for security. And we always fall for that because we want to be taken care of. I'll tell you who my caretaker is. His name is Jesus Christ. He died for me and loved me, and he died on the cross and was raised again on the third day. He proved to me that he has dominion over everything. And whatever I need, he can provide. And I won't exchange that for anything else. Amen? So the testing of your faith produces patience, it produces resolve, and it produces strengthening of action. When you get in a situation where you're, you're, you're in a freedom fight. You begin, to, you begin to develop and seek heavenly strategies, and that's Christians United for Israel. They are God's perfect strategy. This organization, you know, we've been a part of it for, what now, seven, eight years? Anybody know? We've been a part of Kufa for a long time. Well, it actually started in 2006. It was the vision of Pastor John Hagee at Cornerstone in San Antonio, Texas, and his good friend, uh, Rabbi Ari Scheinberg, and and the two came together, and they formed this 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 uh, decided to have a night to honor Israel. It was met with great resistance. Pastor Hagee says he sat on his front porch and watched him, watched him shoot the back glass out of his car. He had death threats. They had bomb threats. Anytime it's of God and anytime it's strategically important, anytime it's going to make a real difference, it will meet great resistance up front. Come on, somebody. It's never going to be an easy road. It's going to take men of great resolve and great commitment to do the thing that God's called them to do. And, and they went through some terrible times. Pastor Hagee said at their first night to honor Israel, they, got a, they had at a convention center in San Antonio, and they got a uh, note at the end, towards the end of the meeting, when uh, uh, Rabbi Scheinberg was praying for, the, uh, for the, uh, uh, the closing prayer, the benediction. So uh, he said that about the time he started, they handed him a note and said there's been a bomb threat, and it's credible. And he asked the security guys again, he says, you really think, it, is this really credible? Yes. And he knew they meant it because they all left. And so he and they, he said, <clears throat> he said, I prayed under my breath. Don't let Rabbi Scheinberg pray like Moses on the mountain. We got to wrap this up quick. <laughs> he said, God answered my prayers because he wrapped it up pretty quick. And I told the crowd, I said, listen, there's been a credible bomb threat. So please don't panic, but leave the building in an orderly fashion. He said the Christians jumped up and ran out of there like a scalded dog. Boy, they just left out of there. He said the Jews all hung around. Said, oh, yeah. they, they have had so many. They've, been, they've faced bomb threats every day of their life. Amen. Come on, somebody. He said if I had had kosher hot dogs for 50 cents, I could have made a million dollars because he said they all hung around. They would have all went and bought one on their way out. 
The difference was I directly, he said, I saw the difference in the way they've had to live and the way Christians have had to live. There is no, we have no concept of the, of, of the things that the enemy will do. They have to face the enemy, the real enemy, every day of their life. They had to face this persecution. But this thing took off. Let me tell you how well it's taken off. When we joined as a church body, and by the way, they know who you are, and I'm going to talk about that. When we joined, I think they had 3 million members, I'm pretty sure. This summer, they gained a million and a half new members during COVID. During COVID. They gained a million and a half new members. They currently have 10 million and they're on their way to 15 million. They think by next July at the next conference that we'll have 15 million members. Well, what does that mean? Well, in the words of Rabbi Leikstern, which was a, a, a part of, uh, has been a part of Kufi and was a, actually an assistant to Daniel uh, Fried, Friedman, who was the ambassador to, to Israel. He said, when you walk in a congressman's office, we couldn't get anybody to talk to us originally. They didn't care. I mean, who are you? Well, now that you have 10 to 15 million members, when you walk through that door into a congressman's office, he realizes 10 million people are stepping through that door with you. They don't want you to go to Washington without coming and seeing them now. And so they've been able to install this, this because of the numbers and the unity and the singularity of purpose. They have one purpose. That's to defend Israel. They have been able to build political strength. When we were there, Ted Cruz was there. He gave a brilliant speech. Uh, it was just unbelievable. They had uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor Daniel Patrick. He said that the Governor Abbott would have been there, but he's trying to find the rest of his congressional delegation. He's trying to get them back from wherever they are. He was kind of busy. One guy was a congressman. He came there to give a talk, and he, he got up there to talk. He was from, uh, his name was King. I think he was from Bayer County. He got up there to give a talk. He pulled out this red sheet, and he said, I need to tell you what this red piece of paper is. This is so the DPS doesn't arrest me. I'm, I'm, I've got leave by the governor to leave the Capitol building, come here, give this talk, and I have to go right back because they're out searching for, for senators and, and for congressmen so they can arrest them and bring them back to do their job, he said. So all the DPS officers that are around here, and there were a bunch, he said, just I want you to know, I have an excuse. Don't come arrest me in the middle of my speech, amen. So yeah, I thought that was hilarious. But they had a top, they had top government bureaucrats. They had top rabbis from around the world. And I, I just realized the magnitude of what God was doing. The enormous political influence that they have accomplished below the radar. They're not afraid of media. They just know they can't trust media. So they do, they're building all this outside of the lens of the media. And it's amazing what they have accomplished in this short period of time. Let me give you an example. They have been successful in getting anti-BDS legislation passed in 35 states. What's BDS legislation? Boycott, divest, and sanction. Some left-winger left came up with this as an idea to force Israel to give away covenant lands to the Palestinians. I want you to understand that Israel is not an occupier of Palestine. In Genesis chapter 15, it says, God said, I'm giving this land to Israel. I'm giving it to, and how long? Forever, forever. It's not a political issue, it's a biblical issue. 
And he says in the same Bible, if you do the research, he said, the foreigners in your midst, I'll bless if you'll accept the fact that this land belongs to Israel. This is in the word of God. This is right here. What does God say about the Palestinians? I want to take care of them. I want to bless them. I want them to prosper. All they have to do is admit that the land belongs to my people. And they can be there and live there and work there and participate. And they're in the government. Israel is the only place I know where they have Muslims in their government. They have, they have it's, if you win the election, they don't care what you're, you don't have to be a Jew to be in a Knesset. Amen? They, they don't care. They want freedom. They understand the concept of freedom. They understand it. And, 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 the, and the whole deal is, this is what Joel chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 says. God says, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, when I bring them back to my, to my, to my, to my land, my covenant land, he said, I will gather all the nations and I'll bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and I will enter into a judgment with them there on account of my people. On account of my people. My heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and they have tried to divide their land God will judge the nations that have tried to divide. Don't you buy this whole Palestinian argument. Listen, God wants to bless them, but they've got to quit tricking, claiming the land. Here's the history. It's, it was not, it, it, the, the Romans changed the name of Judea to Palestine to name it after an emperor's girlfriend. Just to try to spite the Jews. They were so put, up with the, put out with the Jews because they continued to fuss and argue with the Romans. They said, we're going to change the name of the whole. So they changed the name of Judea. And they, and they did so in violation of a biblical covenant that goes back to Genesis chapter 15. And this is what God's foreign statement is about Israel. You ready to hear it? It's pretty simple. This is his foreign statement about Israel. He said, you bless them, I'll bless you. I don't care if you're a Muslim. I don't care who you are. You bless them, I'll bless you. You curse them. And I'll curse you. And all you have to do is get your history book out and go back through history and look at the nations that cursed Israel versus the nations that blessed Israel. Where are they now? The Soviet Union doesn't even exist. They persecuted Jews. Nazi Germany doesn't exist. They persecuted Jews. Name a nation that has persecuted Israel, and I'll show you where they don't last very long. Come on, somebody. But the nations that have blessed Israel, the United States of America has always blessed Israel, and look what a prosperous nation we have become. Amen? If we turn our backs on Israel, we're in real trouble. So this area called Palestine that actually the Edomites populated whenever Israel was driven off the land because of their unfaithfulness, and God told them, you better not lay claim to it. I'm, I'm bringing them back. It's not a political issue. So the leftists came up with this BDS idea. So if you, if you do business with Israel and they won't give the Palestinian, the covenant lands to Palestine, of course, they don't understand covenant lands, but if they won't give the land to Palestine. So, so what we do is we don't do business with them. We don't own stock in Israel companies. We don't, we, all of this. And the Bible said, what I just read you, the, 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 the foreign policy statement God says about Israel, as you do to them, that's what I do to you. So this 35 states have ratified a law that says that if you persecute Israel and you try to boycott, divest, or sanction Israel, then we won't do business with you. We're not going to buy products from you. And if our state employee retirement funds hold stock in companies that have done this to Israel, then we're moving our stock fund to another outfit. They've got to sell the shares. 
It's a, this is a, this is a, so, so let's put this into context. Ben and Jerry's, while we were down there, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, and I love ice cream. I'm an expert on ice cream. I love Ben and Jerry's. It's great ice cream. But those guys, we all know Ben and we all know Jerry, right? Come on, man. They are what they are. So, but they decided that they were going to quit selling ice cream in Samaria because it was occupied by the Jews. Uh-oh. They triggered 35 states. They activated the law. Texas has got a nine, Texas is the ninth largest economy in the world. And they got 34 partners that said, not only are we not going to eat Ben and Jerry's, Ben and Jerry's actually belongs to a big company called Unilever, which is a, a conglomerate out of London. And Unilever sells paper and products and all kinds of stuff and soap and you name it. They make it and they sell it, not to Texas, not to 34 states. And on top of that, our teachers' retirement fund is going to have to withdraw their money out of it if you've got stock in Unilever. And Unilever is like saying, this could turn into a trillion-dollar disaster. And they have called Ben and Jerry in and said, you need to chill the politics, Ben. Come on. See, this is never going to be accomplished if you don't have the kufa. You don't have this collective uh, a God-ordained strategy to have influence and exert influence in the world. You can preach to the world until you're blue in the face, but you cut their money off. Come on, somebody. You start to have real, real, you see real significance. And so, and so this, whole, this whole idea that, that the left has come up with that they can just, you know, sanction Israel. You can if you can afford it. But Unilever has already said, we're going to do business with Israel. We're going to sell them ice cream. We're going to sell them Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And we don't care who likes it or who doesn't like it. Come on. See, this seems like, you, and you go, well, what's that got to do with spiritual things? This is the way you have to fight to fight. You have to fight to fight on their turf. And you have to understand how they operate. And you have to have a way to exert influence. Amen. This is Kufa. This is what they've accomplished. They have figured out a way to put economic pressure and political pressure on people that tried to penalize Israel. They're defenders of Israel. So that brings me to my next topic. Why is the left stupid? <laughs> I actually... Amber knows, she goes, uh, that sounds like something he would say. But actually, that was Dennis Prager. There's a reason why the left is stupid. Let me, let me tell you what it is. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Dennis Prager tells this story. How many of you have ever listened to Dennis Prager? He's a, he's a conservative guy, and you know that going in. But he's a Jew. He's also a devout Jew. He said he, he closed the summit with a talk. It just touched me deeply. He said he was asked by Pastor Hagee to come close one of the original Knights to Honor Israel back in the old days, and he didn't know him well, but he talked to some rabbis, and they said, you need to go do it. So he said, I've only in my lifetime, I've only asked God for th three times I've asked God for something. Now, this is the Jewish mindset, see. They believe you ask God what you can do for him, not the other way around. He said, three times in my life, I've asked God to do something for me. And he said, when I went into the church in San Antonio, and I said it to dice, something came over me. 
And I began to weep uncontrollably. And I, I told God, if I'm going to give this speech, you're going to have to help me. You have to help me stop crying. And I don't know what I'm crying about. I don't know what's happened to me. He had an encounter with the Holy Ghost. And he said, I've never forgot that incident. And I have been part of Kufi from the beginning. I've been involved in it from the very beginning. And he gave this eloquent lesson to us on why the left is stupid. He said the left is stupid and they destroy everything they touch. And he said the reason is, is because of this passage. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He grew up in a yeshiva, which is a Jewish school. He was educated in a Jewish school with a Jewish education. And he said the rabbis required them as they came in to stand by their desk every morning. This is the way we used to do it with the Pledge of Allegiance. We may still do it. I don't know. Do we do that in school still? Do you know if we do? Amen. So hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, by the way, for letting us continue to do that. But he said they would come and stand by their desk and they would say this, this scripture in Hebrew, which is Hebrew is... No, I'm not going to even attempt it. But in Hebrew, he would repeat this, Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he said, we said that every, every day. We said it every day. We got sick of saying it every day. And then when I got old enough to graduate and start to go to a secular college, I enrolled in Columbia University. Turns out they're pretty far left. They took the statue of Columbus down, who they're named after, but they won't change the name of their university because that just costs too much money. <laughs> they're inconsistent. The left, left is very inconsistent. And so, and so he said, I, I was enrolled in a graduate class, a graduate class, and he was a brilliant student. He was enrolled in a graduate class, level class at Columbia University, and it was a sociology class of some kind. And he said, I had an epiphany an epiphany is when you get a breakthrough of reality. You see things as they really are and not how you've been deceived to think they are. He said, I had an epiphany sitting there, and I went back in a vision to my childhood standing next to my desk in the yeshiva were saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I realized this stuff that this professor was teaching me was utter nonsense. It was utterly nonsense. And he said, I got up and walked out of the class. I left Columbia University. I went and got involved with an organization that was trying to help Russian Jews migrate back to Israel. I did that for years. I started a radio program. Listen, he's doing okay. He's doing okay, amen? But he said, in that moment, I realized you can't have wisdom without fear of the Lord. You can't have it. And if you can have knowledge, now listen, you can have knowledge. They're smart people. They got a lot of facts. They know a lot of things. Google knows a lot of things, amen? They know a lot. They probably know more things than you think they know. Hallelujah, amen? Come on, somebody. How is it whenever you search for boots, all of a sudden boot ads start popping up on your, on your thing? You can't, everywhere you turn your phone on, it's a boot ad comes up. How is that? They know a lot of things. Google knows lots of things. They have a lot of knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. And when you have knowledge without wisdom, it can be catastrophic. It can be absolutely catastrophic. Nothing is more dangerous than knowledge without wisdom. And so he said, basically, they have a good excuse for being so stupid. It's because they have no wisdom. They have tons and tons of knowledge, but they have no wisdom. 
In James chapter one, verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally without approach, reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. The source of wisdom is God. And when your ideology is to get rid of God, to turn your back on God, to push God out of all culture, what you have done is you've chosen knowledge over wisdom. Do you get that? Kufi has developed a strategy through wisdom that's been led by God. Wisdom without knowledge leads to catastrophe, like I said. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 and 22, Paul prophesied about the age we're living in. And he said, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. We ought to be able to look around at nature and know that there is a purpose and a planner and all that and a creator, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and professing to be wise, they became fools. As Dennis Prager would say, they're stupid. I've always wrestled with this. I go, these are intelligent. These people are well-educated. How do they come up with some of this crazy stuff? They got no wisdom. So why is the human heart drawn to the beauty of nature? Because God is in it. And verse 23 says, they changed the glory, exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. The problem with environmentalists is, is they worship nature. They don't worship the one who created it. I am a conservationist. I am a conservationist. I believe we need to take better care of our environment. I really do. I'm about water. I'm about clean water. I'm about doing away with some of the contaminating waste that we produce. I'm about all of that. But you have to have wisdom in how you apply that. For example, all the plastic that's in the oceans, and it's a terrible problem. And so if you go to California, they won't let you have a plastic straw anymore, you gotta have a paper straw because you might ruin the ocean. All of the debris in the oceans comes from 10 rivers. Eight of them are in Asia, two of them are Africa, 90%. 90% of the debris in the oceans comes out of these 10 rivers. We can take every plastic straw away from every kid in California that wants a Coke, and we're not gonna make one hill of beans dent. It's this radical, emotional, over-the-top, crazy, we're gonna die tomorrow stuff that I can't make an agreement with. Come on, somebody, that's stupid. Do you think it's stupid? And the problem, you can build recycling plants in Africa, in China, or Asia, and these, these rivers, and you can take care of 85% of the problem, and we could all still have a plastic straw when we go to McDonald's. Wouldn't that be great? You follow what I'm trying to say? It's the absurdity. They try to build an emotional response to get you to exchange freedom for security. That's the strategy. Scare you so you exchange freedom for security. Amen. He said, professing to be, fool, to be wise, they became fools. So the current culture is devoid of wisdom, and we have to put this wisdom back in. We have to use wisdom. We need to take care of the environment. We need to do it in a wise way. Here's a one. Here's a, this is interesting. The Green New Deal. The Green New Deal. We're going to replace 
carbon energy with, with renewable energy. You can't do that because renewable energy is intermittent. Has anybody told them that the wind doesn't blow every day, even in West Texas? And that the sun goes down and it's dark after that and your solar panels are not producing any power. And you don't have the battery power to save up energy to do an urban center like Dallas and Fort Worth. There's no way you're going to replace carbon. Does this make sense? You can't replace carbon energy with, with renewable energy. And I'm for renewable energy. My family has some turbines on our farm and on our place. And I think they're wonderful. I think it's awesome. And the reason that cities want to buy renewable energy from the Texas Panhandle is not because of the Green New Deal is because it's cheaper. And that's why they'll always buy it is because it's cheaper. So you have to use market incentives to change people's behavior. You can't just tell people you got to quit using plastic straws they expect to. You have to have some sort of a logical marketing approach, amen? And you'll never replace all the oil and gas. You have to have some of it. I know they want us all to drop. How many of you have you ever been to Arizona out in the, out in, or, or into, or into, let's say, let's say, western New Mexico, Lordsburg? How are you going to drive an electric truck out there? How in the world? Your battery's going to go dead long time before you get to Albuquerque, I promise you. Amen. I come on, somebody. Do they not have a map? Let's load them all up and fly them out there and show them what it's Let's just dump them out in the middle of Arizona and say, see if you can make it back to town. Hallelujah. I don't know how I got off on this. I'm just trying to say that their remedies are illogical and they're not because they're not led by the Lord. They're not wise. They're not wisdom. So the strategies from heaven, this strategy from heaven is to defend Israel always. The six biblical covenants all come through Israel. Why do we have to defend Israel? Because the six biblical covenants, the ones that we're grafted into, they all flow through Israel. The new covenant, the covenant of the blood of Christ, was actually talked about in Jeremiah 31 and in Isaiah and Ezekiel 28. It was the Old Testament prophets that talked about it. It comes through Israel. Romans 11, 17, and 18 says of Israel, it says that, that they're the, they're the vine that we're grafted into. And if some of the branches were broken off, that you being a wild olive tree, he's talking about the Gentiles, could be grafted among them and with them became a partaker of the root, the root covenant and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. If you don't boast, if you do, if you do, if you do boast, remember that you don't support the root, but the root supports you. You can't cut Israel off. You cut your own your own grafting into Israel is the, is the answer for redemption for the Jews, for the whole world. That's why you have to protect them. That's why you have to protect them. Kufi is doing it, and they're doing it on a very effective level. Our current mission is to have a pastor with a personal relationship with 435 congressmen. There are 435 congressional districts in the United States. I'm one of them. They've asked me to develop a relationship with Ronnie Jackson. I don't think that'll be hard. He and I see a whole lot. I don't think that'll be a big deal. I'm glad they didn't send me to Ben and Jerry's country in New Hampshire. I don't think I could make that work. But here's the, listen to this. This is their strategy. When, when I call, he knows me. I'm really committed to a cause. He knows that I'm submitted to an organization that has 15 million members and growing. 
And when I call him, he takes my call because we have a personal relationship. Multiply that times 435. And then in the state of Texas, George Stewart down by Eagle Lake, he's the state coordinator and he has a personal relationship with Ted Cruz and John Cornyn. So you have every congressman, you have every senator who has a personal relationship with, they know them by their first name. See, this is a cool strategy because it's relational. And that's the way Jesus Christ works. He's relational. Come on, somebody. He's relational. Get to know them. So when you call, they know who you are. And so picture this. Some crisis comes up, and America decides to drop the ball on Israel. 435 calls all at the same time. And then 100 more in the Senate. And then emails from 15 million members that suddenly start blowing up your, key, your, your, your email box. You see how it works. This is what Kufi has been able to accomplish by staying out of the media and not making it about politics, but just making it about Israel. They have a laser focus. So we're going to defend Israel. We're going to maintain a low-key influence, but that has dramatic impact. They're going to continue to teach the Bible as it pertains to Israel. Jeremiah 31, 35 through 36, thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall no longer cease, shall cease from being a nation before me. You know how long God's covenant with Israel is? Forever. Are they perfect? No. But that's between them and God. My grandfather, my great-grandfather, he was a very devout man. And my dad, would, like we all have done, would save disparaging remarks about the Jews, especially if you lost a business deal to one of them, you know. And my great-grandfather, I remember I was a kid, I remember him telling my dad one time, he says, you listen, they're God's people. Leave them alone. That's it. We don't have to get them saved. The Bible says in Romans they're going to be saved. I don't know how. But the covenants run through Israel, and Israel will last forever. Israel will always be there. And God will judge the nations that have stood by Israel. He'll bless them, and the nations that have come against Israel will experience his judgment. That's what we know. So, Kufa, the remnant, the remnant of God in Kufa are winning the battle. You are winning. You're winning. You're winning. The 1776 initiative, which I'm a part of, is going to the school districts and saying, give us an accounting of what you're teaching our children. And I, look, maybe I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you don't teach them what someone else thinks, but you don't teach it as truth. It's not the National Indoctrination Association. It's the National Teachers Association. Come on, somebody. Education Association. Look, and, and, and look, they're not, they're, our teachers are not that way. We don't have to worry about that here, and that's why people are coming here from all over the country. My point is, is that you can't stand by and do nothing. You have to find effective strategies from heaven to combat evil in our culture. If you believe that, say amen. When you go to a Kufi meeting, you're blown away by how powerful the Lord is and what he's doing and the people that he's, that he's pulling together. Let me tell you this. I told them that they know that we send a substantial portion of our Passover offering to them every year. And this has been talked about in their executive committees. There's this little church out in West Texas. And they are big givers. 
because they observe a Christian Passover. And they started it down on the South Plains. There's some churches down there doing it down there too. And when I was in Dallas, they talked to us and said, would you guys be interested in talking to the other churches about this? Because this is an incredibly powerful way to connect Christendom and Israel together in a common heritage and raise enormous funds for this, this mission and this project. They know, they know. John Hagee knows, has heard the name Barn Church. You're connected. You're connected to a huge move of God on the earth that is making a tremendous difference. It could save America. Let me tell you, America was created for two purposes. One is to propagate the gospel around the world. The other was to defend Israel. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Now, it's done a lot of other things, and they've been cool. A lot of other cool things have happened in America. But those are the two things in the eyes of God that America does. And if we turn our back on Israel, we are no more used to him. Amen. Kufa is keeping America from falling in that trap. They know you. They've heard of you. They thank you. They ask me to thank you. I thank you. Because you're having, you're making a difference. See, this is the thing. I told, I told our, I told our, our women at the, at our team meeting yesterday. You can't see them for the highway. In other words, you know, I was in Vega, Texas one time, filling up with gas, and I had my leggings on. I'd been branding, and I hadn't changed them. I just was in a hurry. And a lady from New Hampshire or Florida or someplace, she pulls up in her car. She says, "Can I take a picture?" I said, "Of what? Of you?" I said, "Well, yeah, I guess so. What do you need a picture of me for?" She said, "I didn't know. I didn't know cowboys still existed." <laughs> I said, "They exist. You just can't see them from the highway. They're out there." There's a bunch of them out there. I could take you with, I know there's 28 of them right now around the dinner table. You just can't, see, and this is the way the church is just going to church on Sunday and going home and griping about the way things are and getting mad when they read the newspaper. You can't see what God is doing from the highway. You gotta get out in the midst of it like I did when I went to Dallas this weekend and you see God is moving in power. I'm talking about power on your behalf. And there's a change coming. There's a fresh wind. He told us, after the election, he said, everything that will be hidden will be revealed and that that's been covered up will be exposed, amen? It's part of the process of what God is doing. He's revealing what we need to work on. He's mobilizing his church. The remnant church is rising and it's making a difference in America. I want you to be excited today about being a part of an organization that is fighting the good fight God's way and is winning it. They're winning it. Let me tell you something about Pastor John Hagee. He can go, he knows every Knesset member personally. He knows all, almost all of the top officers in the IDF personally. He knows more congressmen and more senators than any one man I know personally. And when he calls, they pick up the phone because they know they need to listen to what he has to say. And so what gives him that power? You do because you're committed to Christians United for Israel and you're committed to this work. I'll tell you another thing they do that makes them effective. They don't do other things. This is the one thing they do. They do, they defend Israel. That's all they do. There are a lot of important causes, but this is the cause that they do and they don't get tangled up in all these other things. This is what they focus on, amen. I wish I could load you all up and take you down there with me next year. Actually, we gotta go to Washington next year, but 
if you could go to one of these, you'd just be blown away by the power of God, how effectively he is moving on your behalf. Your children, your children, your children, you don't have to worry because I'm telling you, they're going to grow up in a culture that still calls Jesus Christ king. I believe that with all of my heart. So that's my report from Dallas. Also, the food was really good, but it's little bitty servings. I don't know what the deal is. Um, so, but, <clears throat> but I want to tell you, I came away from there so encouraged, so glad that we chose to become a part of that work. And, and, uh, and they, I mean, I'm serious. They know you. They know you. They kept bringing people over to our table and said, here's that bunch. This is that bunch from West Texas that we were telling you about, Hope Hernandez, uh, one of the personal assistants and liaisons there would bring people over and and uh, and and it was really cool. Uh, it was just there's 600 people there, 650 people there, and she would find them and say, "Tell them about what your Passover and what you guys are doing." And so, I don't know where that's going to go. Maybe God will open a door for us to begin to teach the churches about how to do that. Amen. How many of you have? How long? How long have we been doing a Passover? Seven years. Really? Seven, eight years? About the time we got involved with Kufa, wasn't it? Wasn't it about the same time? So, anyway, I'm excited. I want you to be excited. I want you to be, I want you to be fired up about what God's doing. It's, listen, quit watching the news. Quit getting your view of the world from the media because it is absolutely not the way that it really is. Amen? And remember this. You're making a difference. <laughs>